This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I want to talk about some stuff I was watching while I was traveling to and from Las Vegas for the 2022 Bimmers Conference. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Napa. Planning on attending Apex? Make sure to stop by the Napa Auto Care booth on the first floor for a meet and greet with the 2021 NHRA champion, Ron Caps. He will be there on Tuesday, November 1st, between 10.30 and 11.30 a.m. So I was at the Bimmers conference. You know, Bimmers is a group kind of focused on independent repair shops that do a fair bit of BMW. And there's kind of a long history of them, and that might be a neat subject for a different episode, maybe with Justin Morgan or Seth Thorson, or really if I could get Steve Brotherton would be great. Uh, it was held in Las Vegas, which maybe had a little bit to do with what I was watching because, uh, I don't know, I guess it seems fitting uh, other than my standard or really traditional viewing of the Martian on an airplane. Uh, I caught myself reading and watching stuff about somebody known as Kid Poker, or if you do follow the poker world a little bit, Daniel Negrano. And I just guess I get wrapped up and caught up in uh, his history and just really the way he is. Some of the interviews he was doing, uh, he did a very recent one with Lex Friedman. And I found a lot of his traits to translate quite well to success far outside of that uh, or just that of poker. So Daniel Negrano, just a really brief history uh, is from Toronto, Canada. I would say recognized by quite a few people as being one of the greatest poker players, either alive today, maybe in history, uh, but very, very well respected. Uh, voted Poker Player of the Year uh, a couple times, and then also voted uh, Best Player of the Decade. Uh, you know, he was into gambling. He was very, very much into poker, and he kind of learned it by playing. So he has very, very strong intuition uh, that allowed him to be successful early on. So what he would do is he would you know, live at home, build up a bankroll, and then go hit Atlantic City or go hit Las Vegas. And for the most part, lose everything. Uh, this happened multiple times. Uh, he would take what he built up and go and try to you know, hit it big and fail fail epically to the point where his parents may even had to have helped pay for him to get home and start over, get a job, live at home, build up that bankroll again, play some small cash games, and then go hit, you know, one of the big poker rooms. And this type of experience and work ethic did allow him to start getting better and better. And I think that's an easy translation for us. It's not easy to find an environment that lets you fail. And I guess we prefer not to fail epically in what we do. But, uh, you know, it's sometimes the best lessons are learned from our failures. It's pretty rare we learn a whole lot from our successes. I would argue, though, it is usually better to learn from others' failures. Uh, so that's a good reason to keep reading up on Diagnostic Network, old IATN archives, a lot of the Facebook 
groups or pages. And then of course, share your failures and what you learned as well, you know, kind of pay it forward if you will. So I felt this lent itself very well, get knocked down, get back up, take what you learned, get better, get better, get better. And then he starts winning and he starts getting into some tournaments and he starts getting into the money of these tournaments uh, where he's making the money back from the buy-in and working his way up to really his ultimate. And I don't want to say like ultimate goal, meaning like the peak goal, but I think what he really just wanted to be able to do is make a living playing poker. He was accomplishing that. And now of course we're talking about him because he didn't just stay at the ability to make a living playing poker. He started to excel. He started to break away from the regular pack, if you will, and start really joining the elite. And we could argue why that is, you know, is it all pure hard work? You know, hard work comes as a course of factor. It's of course a factor, but the only factor, because I think we all know a lot of people that work very hard and they don't achieve an elite status. And that's not to diminish anyone that doesn't reach an elite status, quite the opposite. To become successful, to be able to make a living at what you're doing and continue to improve, continue to improve. From there, you know, he start, he's winning these tournaments. He's getting a name. He's got quite the personality at the table, jibber-jabber. He's also got a very interesting skill at predicting what his opponent has for cards. Uh, I don't know if you get bored sometime, go on your favorite kind of streaming app like a YouTube or whatnot, look him up. And it's pretty insane what he can do. The biggest thing I take away, his continuous evolution, meaning not only did he just keep learning from his mistakes, you know, get knocked down, get up again, get beat, lose a lot of money, lose all his money, pick himself up and rebuild. Yeah, that's important. That's just an important life skill. But also... As he continued to progress, as he started reaching that elite status and started winning and not just making a career and making a living, but now I think we could just say being wildly successful at it and being able to live very comfortably, if not arguably extravagantly, whatever that means, right? He can uh, afford quite a bit of bankrolls, right? But what I really admire is he continues to evolve. So to give that a little more context, when he really started, we didn't have the technology we have now. And I'm not talking about like cameras and all that, but computers, computing programs, poker solvers, and mathematicians, big time mathematicians hitting the poker world with game theories, or I shouldn't say game theories, but game theory and a poker game theory. He didn't just stick with the old way, which is get dealt your cards, try to figure out and guess what your other uh, opponents had. Could you beat them? Could you bluff them out of it? There wasn't a ton of strategy. You know, it was really learning how to read people, read their mannerisms. That's what, you know, poker back in the day really rested upon. Not saying they didn't have mathematics involved with the number of outs and stuff like that. Uh, And outs being, uh, if you're, kind of losing. You're behind, if, if that makes sense, in the hand that 
somebody has a better hand than you do that assuming i guess we're talking about a certain game here um we're talking about no limit texas hold'em which is kind of the uh top dog i guess when it comes to poker especially on television that's pretty much all we really see on television is no limit texas hold'em so everybody has dealt two cards down uh, and then they kind of have a community group of cards five cards and they come in phases the first phase they call the flop they flop three and everybody gets to use those community cards to make the best five card hand at the end of each phase there's a round of betting, okay? So that sets up the strategy. In certain situations, uh, whether you know what your opponent has or not, whether the cards are up uh, in a situation where somebody's all in and they're showing their cards, if you're behind, there's going to be so many outs, usually, that uh, if a certain card comes up, or cards, plural, you could end up winning the hand or honestly splitting the hand in a rare case where you end up splitting the pot because you each have equal hands. Not that that didn't exist, but really the hard mathematics that led to something called ranges, poker ranges or hand ranges. And some of it's a little individualized. Different people have different ranges, but the way they're now calculating these things in their head, what hand you could really have based on what cards you have, what cards are shown, your betting strategy, their betting strategy starts to dwindle down, or I should say probably whittle down what hand you could really have. Why that's important, I guess, why I'm bringing that up is Daniel starts out one way, almost 100% one way. And he starts, you know, even after he's hit elite status, he starts learning more and more about game theory. He starts learning about poker ranges. He keeps adding to his toolkit. You know, I suppose it wouldn't be so different than a basketball player who's really, really good at defense every year coming back and being better at something on offense. You know, they're improving their shooting, improving their ball handling skills, improving their three-point shooting, improving their passing or, you know, whatever it may be. So every year coming back better and better, every season coming back better and better, a different skill, a different threat. And that's what we see from Dan, from Daniel is he keeps expanding this skill set. And I just feel that's really, really, really important because sometimes you can kind of get stuck in your bubble. You know, you used to say it was always the older techs, always the older techs. And now maybe it's because I'm going to get labeled an older tech. but even younger techs, depending on their situation, depending on their work environment, it's very easy to get caught in your bubble. Meaning if you're like an undercar tech and you can just bang out the work, it would be very, very easy to just get stuck in that. That's all you do. That's all you need to do. You don't need to go to training. You don't need to invest in much more, you know, maybe some new power, you know, air tools or cordless tools maybe. But man, you really... You don't have to go outside of your um, lane to keep killing it. And I suppose there's some logic to it. But man, I don't know. Being stuck, especially if you've been doing it for years, decades. Not saying you're so old, but it's been a decade. A decade and a half of staying in that lane. And now maybe you can't turn that work like you used to. Maybe it's not even an age thing. Maybe it's an injury thing. 
who knows? Who cares? Kind of painted yourself in a corner. So I think it's reasonable to always be trying to expand, learning more lanes and improving those skill sets, being able to change lanes, you know, as you get older, as, as maybe an injury is set in, that's something very prevalent to our profession is back injuries, neck injuries, shoulder injuries, hand injuries. So can you evolve and can the shop, you know, I think shop's got to take a little bit of responsibility in this as well as creating a situation where you can evolve. Is there space? Can they create some space? You know, how does that work? And every shop's different, right? Sometimes they already have that person and it's hard to really supplant them. Where are they going to move? And maybe they can, maybe they can move more into management or whatever. It's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. Napa Auto Care has a solution with the Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program. The program was engineered by one of our own, Pete McNeil and Master Technician Jake Sorensen of McNeil's Auto Care in Sandy, Utah, realized that the problem of not having technicians available for hire was not going to solve itself and decided to take action and look at a different audience of individuals available for hire. A focus was put on younger individuals with the right passion, desire, and attitude to work in the automotive repair industry. Jake and Pete sought these individuals and developed a technician apprentice program to give them the training needed to become a successful technician in today's world. The Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program includes a comprehensive nine-stage curriculum that includes a variety of types of training, classroom training videos. Exclusive to the apprentice program, these videos provide an in-depth training from a successful master technician. Autotech classes, instructor-led courses offered through Napa Autotech, Autotech e-learning, web-based e-learnings designed to target specific training topics, hands-on learning. The apprentice will apply the skills gained from the classroom training videos, Autotech instructor-led training, and Autotech e-learnings in the shop with the guidance of a mentor. The apprentice program curriculum is competency-based, meaning an apprentice can move through each stage at a pace that best suits them. Most apprentices complete the program within two years. Upon a completion, apprentices will have earned ASE G1, A4, A5, and AC certifications, adding industry validation to the skills an apprentice acquires. Grow your bottom line. Having an apprentice in your shop will ultimately benefit your bottom line as they advance through the program. In most cases, as the apprentice develops their skill set producing billable hours, you will begin to see a growth in your gross profit by stage five. Keep your apprentice motivated with an apprentice toolkit. One of the largest entry barriers for individuals looking to enter the automotive repair industry is the cost of tools. Napa Auto Care has worked with our supplying partners to offer an exclusive, comprehensive tool set, including a four-drawer tool cart for all registered apprentices. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com. The point is, continuous learning, continuous expansion of your skill sets even if it's just to kind of know, maybe the chances of you doing a wheel alignment are minimal, but the shop does have an alignment machine and it wouldn't hurt to pick up some knowledge. So that's kind of sitting there just in case. Maybe you really don't have that much experience with electricity and diagnosing an electrical issue, even just what we would consider, you know, quote unquote, simple picking up some of those skill sets. Maybe you don't necessarily have to every day, but maybe there is a day or two where 
it really helps out that you can kind of look at this and narrow that down. So uh, that investment in learning, be the investment monetary or time. Uh, if the shop's picking up the tab, which was, we would like to see, you're still making an investment in time. And we see Daniel Negrano doing this, that he's early on, he's trying to out um, feel the math guys, the guys who really are doing walking calculators, strong mathematic skills. And we see him trying to just out feel them. And now he's gaining more and more skill sets, better understanding of the math involved. And maybe he's not going to understand it quite like somebody that's very adept at mathematics, but he's better than he was, has something to go up against them with. And then he's got the feels, uh, feeling ability, the intuition that they may not have. I find that very respectable. I think I would like to believe I also try very hard to do that, to keep learning, which kind of leads into something else. He's, you know, arguably middle-aged. Let's just, let's just qualify him as middle-aged. For one, he has great, great, great reverence for the older poker players, the ones who are very much in their twilight years. One specifically, Doyle Bronson. If you've watched poker, you've probably seen him there. Older gentleman, cowboy hat. To listen to Daniel talk about this man uh, with such respect because Doyle was playing poker in Vegas when it was run by the mob. Doyle played when he had to carry a firearm because things did go sideways a lot. There's a lot of times he won and left with nothing except his life. And that's that's the world he played in. And so Daniel really looks up to that. Plus the guy, meaning Doyle, is well into his 80s and still hitting final tables. So he himself is also either kept up or that skill set he possesses is timeless. It's kind of important to, at the very basic minimum, respect those that have kind of laid some of the groundwork for where you are now, whether directly or indirectly, maybe even a little bit of reverence, but especially respect, especially um, giving credit where credit's due. And I think we all have lists of people. Some of us, our lists were mainly what we read in books, saw in magazines, or saw live at uh, training classes and or conferences. That's how we met these people. And I think a lot of us still do. Um, and now over the last, you know, what, 20 years, maybe roughly more than that, 30 years, let's go 30, 30 is a little optimistic, 20, 25 years, there's a lot more video and that's how we're finding a lot of, uh, mentors that way, or people to look up to follow, learn from lots of options there. A lot of very good options there to roll with that. Even I think that just really moves into back to Daniel being kind of middle-aged. He embraces the young people coming in, their new ideas, their new approaches. The, I find that as important as revering or respecting your elders or forefathers, whatever we would like to qualify them as. So many times we see the older guard shunning the new, whatever the reason may be. 
And I suppose I just got a rough time with fear, except maybe at a shop level or very localized level. But on a more national level, generally, older generations kind of look down on the younger generations. Sometimes for very good reason. Other times, not so much. We're seeing a lot of younger techs, a lot of younger internet personalities, if you kind of understand where I'm going with this, that that we're seeing them popping up on YouTubes, Facebook, social medias. And so Daniel is embracing the younger generations and learning from them. As a middle-aged, wildly successful professional poker player, he's watching the younger stars, the younger generation coming in and figuring out what they're doing. Why are they doing it? I find that fascinating and brilliant. That's something I, I would like to believe I do. Not saying like, I'm watching these young kids and maybe that's exactly what it is. I don't know. Technically, I don't know. But it's really just people that are younger than me or not even like age-wise younger, maybe just new personalities we haven't seen before. But really, I would say younger generation, listening to them, watching them, gleaning what I can. I would have to say I've learned a lot and I urge everybody to always be on the lookout regardless of age, regardless of generation, valid or applicable information that you can absorb or add to your arsenal. Take what works, reject what doesn't. And then I think to kind of wrap this up, he has his own social media pages, of course. He's involved in some streaming as well as podcast stuff and honesty. He's very, very honest about what he's doing, why he's doing it, how he felt. And I'm not saying people have to broadcast this honesty, but you should at least be really honest with yourself. And honestly, it really doesn't hurt to be honest to your peers and colleagues. I mean, that humility and to a degree modesty, but I would say humility goes a long, long, long way towards garnering respect and keeping your mind open, right? If you have some humility, you really automatically have an open mind to gain knowledge, be it from criticisms or just you're willing to read through and see how someone arrived at conclusion and the ability then to ask questions and be open to the answers. Uh, I think that's wildly important. Have open minds. You know, in poker world, I would say a very prominent, if not famous, one-on-one, head-to-head event or contest between Daniel Negrano, kind of the old guard, versus another poker player who made most of his money playing online poker named Doug Polk. And they played a few hours face-to-face during COVID, of course, but face-to-face. And Daniel did pretty good. I think he beat him face-to-face. But then they went online and played some absurd number of hands. I mean, we're talking like 10,000 hands. It was absurd. And Daniel got, I think, safe to say, destroyed. That modesty, that honesty to kind of take it on the chin, give credit where credit's due, 
give himself credit where credit was due, not just in the head face to face live in person, but some of the stuff he did online that worked, you know, he was down big. He started working his way back. It looked like he was going to make at least make it a contest. These two, when they started out, I don't know if they really disliked each other, but there was some tension. Uh, there's definitely tension between the two, but by the end of it, there was a healthy, healthy amount of respect for one another. And I would never dare say they're friends now, but they have interacted online via podcasts a couple of times. And it's, it seems much, much more friendly and mutual respect than ever before. And I guess this, this honesty, this modesty that I like reminds me a, a lot of Paul Danner, Scanner Danner, that he's on that camera regularly recording and kind of putting himself out there. Maybe not personally, personally, but I mean, as a professional, as a professional technician, he shows you his successes. He also shows you failures, if you will. And he's very open about it, whether it's his own shortcomings or you, you don't know what you don't know, or he's, you're almost watching somebody learning sometimes. And because of that, we learn. I see that in Daniel. So it might sound like, you know, that saying that is really, really crediting Paul, which I am. But I think the comparison to Daniel goes the other way. It's really Daniel is like Paul Danner. And so really I'm complimenting Daniel about that. And I think we can take a little bit of that, at least amongst colleagues and fellow professionals, that we don't have to put up these big facades of our skill sets or our capabilities you know, we never get anything wrong. We always take the perfect diagnostic path and get it right every time. That just doesn't seem to fly. That I think the people that are very honest, and sometimes we get lucky, right? Sometimes you do take the perfect path almost accidentally. You know, that's the story of my life. Pretty much every day, luck out, take a path that leads to a conclusion that ends up fixing the car. But also, here's what I did. This is why I did it. In retrospect, I could have skipped this. In retrospect, I could have did this test instead of that. Or if somebody's critiquing you, you know, as the criticizer to try to not be so critical and as the one receiving the criticism to not take it so personally that, you know, read what they're saying or hear what they're saying. I wonder if you would have skipped this step. I wonder if you would have did this instead of that. Would you have had to do that? And sometimes you can agree that you do a test that you were going to have to do based on what you knew at that point. So we're back at that honesty thing. But I want to thank you so much for listening. It turns out there are so many lessons out there from those within our profession as well as outside of our profession. We just have to be looking for it. This one, I think, uh, stands up uh, and translates extremely well that we can look at somebody like a Daniel Negrano who would never ever put himself uh, or label himself as the best, certainly of all time, that he would leave that up to his colleagues to say. But somebody that's had great, great success in something that requires critical thinking, endurance, you know, especially mentally and really physically. I mean, if you're sitting at a table for hours and hours and hours, that's not just mental, it's physical too. 
that we can take a lot away from these other professions, these other professionals, these other success stories. So hopefully after listening to this, maybe this piques a little bit of an interest and you go check out some No Limit Texas Hold'em poker and watch Daniel Negrano and what he does and just consider what it took to get where he's at and maybe we can take some of that and apply it to ourselves. So I'd just like to thank you all for listening again. Thank Napa for sponsoring. And if you have any ideas or thoughts about episodes, please, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm very easy to get a hold of via social media. You can also email me at mattfonslopodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.